Not just, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, sure, you know, in Christmas everybody believes. No, there's, there's more to Christianity than going to church once a week or once, once a year on Christmas or Easter, twice a year. It's about living Christianity and letting Jesus be Lord of your life and receiving the gift, as I said. Jesus is the reason for the season. I heard about another painter. His name is Holman Hunt. He painted this portrait of Revelation 3.20, Jesus knocking at the door of our hearts. That's what it says in Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and anyone who opens, there was no room for him at the end, and I'm hoping that you're going to open the door of your heart. Anyone who opens, I will come in and sup with them. Holman Hunt painted that portrait of Jesus knocking at the door, and he showed it at an art gallery, and everybody gathered around, and they all liked it and everything. And then one critic went over to him and said, Holman, it's a very beautiful portrait of Jesus called the light of the world. He's holding a lantern and knocking on the door. There's only one problem. You left the knob off the door. <laughs> and if you look closely, there's Jesus knocking at the door, but there's no handle to the door. And Holman Hunt said, I'm so glad that you noticed that. I did that intentionally because that door is the door of your heart. And the only way it can be opened is from the inside. And that's where the handle is. Jesus will never force his way in. He'll never barge his way in. He's very humble. He's very gentle. And I'm inviting you today to turn the handle, open the door, and receive Jesus. He will empower you. He'll give you the power to become a child of God. Just simply surrender and say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. I believe in you. I know you were born for me. Forgive my sins. I want eternal life. Whether you go to church or you don't go to church, and I believe that Jesus will come in and everything will start changing. Christmas is a season of giving, and we give because God gave first. I heard a story that I wanted to share with you about a young man. He was 11 years old at the time. This happened a couple years ago. His name was Carter Wiles, Carter Wiles. And he was sent from foster home to foster home to foster home. Finally, one Christmas, he ended up with his aunt, Leah Kiphart, and her seven children. And he was just celebrating Christmas with his family, the aunt. And he received this small box. And in the small box was a picture of the family and the children with a little note. And the note says, We'd love for you to be in the next picture. Would you join our family? We love you. And he said, yes. What a gift to receive on Christmas. Little Carter was adopted into that family. That's the best gift of all. And that's exactly, and I told you that story, because that's exactly what's happening at Christmas. It says in the letter to the Galatians that we have been adopted through Jesus, into the family of God. We are the adopted sons and daughters of God. That's what Christmas is all about. It's allowing God to transform us 
Receive the gift. That's receiving the gift of Jesus. Most people, yeah, I believe in Jesus, or maybe they even go to church, but they don't realize who they are. Children of God, sons and daughters of God, adopted into the family, heirs to eternal life, heirs to God. That's exactly what it says in the scripture. And then being transformed, sanctified by the Holy Spirit living within us, divinized. We have the mind of Christ becoming like Jesus. Do you understand? Jesus is the reason for the season. I know it's a cultural event. And everybody's out shopping, and there's hustle and bustle, and there's angels flying around, and there's Santa Claus and the reindeer and Christmas trees and all that. It's about being born again. Jesus was born so that we could be born again. It's about having a new relationship with God. It's about knowing Jesus in a personal way. Christmas is all about Jesus. And then on TV, there's football games, and maybe you're going to be tuning in later. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying there's all kinds of different things. And what about the movies that come out? For example, It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart. And he plays the character George Bailey. George Bailey is depressed. It's Christmas time and he's depressed. By the way, I started off the program with this. A lot of people get depressed at Christmas time. And that's because they're alone. And if you're alone, I want you to know that God is there. He loves you. He sent his son for you. And you're really not alone. And you can have a Merry Christmas. Don't be thinking about what everybody else is doing. This is your Christmas. It's a gift from God to you. Enjoy it. Have a Merry Christmas. And people will get depressed because, and even suicidal, because they've lost a loved one. It's their first or second or third Christmas without them. It was hard for me to lose my mom and dad. I always celebrated Christmas with them. Now, I don't have my mom and dad to celebrate Christmas with, and I'm not married. I celebrate with the religious community, but you've got to adapt to what you're going through. But anyway, my point is, people get depressed and suicidal, and they're grieving, and it's a hard time. Well, anyway, George Bailey's going through a hard time, and he's going to commit suicide, and he sees this angel. He didn't know it was an angel, but an angel was about to jump off a bridge, and he saved that person, that angel, from jumping off the bridge. And the angel revealed to him what a difference George Bailey was making, not only in the angel's life, but in everybody's life. And he showed him his life and the impact that he's had on people and how he's helped people throughout his life and what life would have been like if George Bailey had not been alive. And George came to this great realization that there's a tremendous meaning in life. And it's a wonderful life. Remember how I began the program? It's the most wonderful time of the year. And the truth is that God gave you life, and he's working in you and through you to touch people, to help people, to save people, to encourage people. And I pray that you will be Christ-like. When I talk about being transformed in Jesus and becoming divinized, that's the way God is. (laughs) God is generous. God is loving. God is forgiving. And that's our call. In one of my other episodes, I talk about how we have the heart of Christ, the sacred heart of Jesus. That's exactly what God wants from us. It is a wonderful life. And you do have a purpose. You do have meaning. And that meaning is to help other people. And so if you are suffering and lonely and 
even depressed or grieving or maybe even thinking of ending your life, please don't. Merry Christmas. Get in touch with the blessing. Make room in your heart. Open it up to the Lord Jesus. He will help you. He will lift you up. He will be your strength and he will transform you. Quit the negativity and be positive. And then there's the story really quickly that I saw on television. We've all seen this. Dickens, A Christmas Carol. It's all about this Ebenezer Scrooge. You know, he's real negative and selfish and he's a miser with money and that whole thing. Well, anyway, he gets this visitation from these angels. The angel, actually, it was the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and then I want to talk about the ghost of Christmas future. And he's a miser, and he's real selfish. We get that name Scrooge from that. Well, anyway, the ghost of Christmas future comes to him and points out his future and points to his tombstone that he's going to die And it so traumatized him. He wakes up, and he knew that he needed to change his life. The man that worked for him, Bob Cratchit, had a little boy named Tiny Tim who was disabled. And Scrooge adopts him, gives them all a turkey so that they can, and starts giving his money away so that they could celebrate Christmas in a beautiful way. He's running down the street, jumping up and down for joy because he's given another chance a time to change his life, and he did change his life. And I think that's one of the major messages of Christmas, that no matter who we are or what we've done or how miserly or selfish or stingy we might have been with our life, God is giving us time to change. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's right from the Bible. That's one of the major works that Christ has done in me. Remember, it's all about making room for him and receiving Jesus. I used to be pretty stingy myself. But God turned me into a a generous person. And I'm getting there. I'm not totally there. And no matter where you are, remember, Jesus came for stingy people and selfish people to help us to become all that we could be. Really, Christmas is a time, a magical time, to appreciate your life and to become all that you can be. I wanted to share with you something that I saw. It's a prose, and it's called One Solitary Life. It was written by a man named James Francis in 1929, 100 years ago. One Solitary Life. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He worked in a carpentry shop until he was 30. Then he became an itinerant preacher, never held an office, never had a family, never owned a house, didn't have any money, never wrote a book, didn't go to college, had no credentials but himself. 20 centuries have come and gone. Today, he's the central figure of the human race. Time is even measured because of his birth. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, 
all the kings that have ever reigned have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. And of course, that's Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season. Would you open up your heart? He's knocking at the door of your heart. Would you receive him and open the gift that God has given you? And you will know transformation, the fact that you've been adopted into the family, and the true meaning of Jesus' name, that God saves. Merry Christmas to you. May Almighty God bless you. And don't just live, live with passion. This is Father Cedric. I'd love to hear from you. Simply write me at Father Cedric Ministries, 430 Bunker Hill Road, Houston, Texas, 77024. Or I hope you'll visit my website, fathercedric.org, F-R-C-E-D-R-I-C.org. Or you can call my phone number, 844-328-4372. God bless you. from EWTN Radio. For Church Pop, I'm Brantley Milligan. This is Jeanette DeMello from Register Radio. I'm Colin Flynn, EWTN Newsroom correspondent. Get trusted Catholic news every day on EWTN Television and Radio. Hello, I'm Doug Keck, host of EWTN's Bookmark Program and 
When it comes time for Christmas, I always think about Mother Angelica and her great love for El Divino Nino, her, her devotion to the child Jesus and how important the idea of the child Jesus was to Mother, the simplicity of our faith and how our Lord came to be incarnate as a child in a manger and how important it is for us to realize how much God loves us to do something like that. There are a lot of ways to pray. When I was in the evangelical world, we didn't we didn't like rote prayers that the Catholics prayed. Nah, we we wanted to say our own prayers. We thought that it was coming more from the heart. Any kind of prayer, whether it comes from the heart and is a loose connection of words, or it is a prayer that the church has had for centuries, is good because it is prayer. And now, the EWTN Family Prayer with Father Joseph. Family, a prayer that we pray together is a powerful prayer. So please pray together with me, our EWTN Family Prayer. Today we pray for those who are suffering with Parkinson's disease. Lord Jesus Christ, consolation of the afflicted, you are our refuge. We pray for those who are suffering the effects of Parkinson's disease. As they lose their physical strength and abilities, increase their spiritual strength and abilities. Renew their inner spirit day after day, and through their share in your sufferings, give the grace of conversion to sinners. In their weakness, reveal your strength. Give peace and joy to those who care for them. Amen. Hi, I'm Father John Paul Mary, the Franciscan Missionaries of the Eternal Word, and I would like to wish you, our EWTN family, a very blessed Christmas season. The Christmas Martyrology of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the year from the creation of the world, when in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. From the flood, 2,957 years. From the birth of Abraham, 2,015. From Moses and the coming of the Israelites out of Egypt, 1,510. From the anointing of King David, 1,032. In the 65th week, according to the prophecy of Daniel, in the 42nd year, of the Empire of Octavian Augustus, Jesus Christ, Eternal God, and Son of the Eternal Father, desirous to sanctify the world by His most merciful coming, having been conceived of the Holy Spirit, is born in Bethlehem of Judah, having become man of the Virgin Mary. This from the Church's Roman Martyrology for December 25th. Stories in the Heart would like you to join us as we celebrate this ancient feast of Christmas. First up, a true story of a nativity set with two baby Jesus. Was this a packing mistake? Then, the story of a man who forgets the advice of his uncle. Will he come to realize the folly of his youth and celebrate the true meaning of Christmas? I'm Sandra McDevitt. Stay tuned for our beautiful Christmas special on another Stories from the Heart.
If you're missing baby Jesus, call 7162. A True Story When I was a child, my father worked for an oil company in North Dakota. The company moved him around to different parts of the state, and at some point, between one move and another, we lost our family nativity set. Shortly before Christmas in 1943, my mother decided to replace it and was happy to find another one at our local Five and Dime. When my brother Tom and I helped her unpack the set, we discovered two figures of the baby Jesus. Someone must have packed this wrong, my mother said, counting up the figures. We have one Joseph, one Mary, three wise men, three shepherds, two lambs, a donkey, a cow, an angel, and two baby Jesus. Oh dear, I suppose some set down at the store is missing a baby Jesus. You run back down to the store and tell the manager that we have an extra Jesus. Tell him to put a sign on the remaining boxes saying that if a set is missing a baby Jesus, call 7162. I'll give each of you a penny for some candy. The manager of the store copied down my mother's message, and the next time we were in the store, we saw the cardboard sign that read, If you're missing baby Jesus, call 7162. All week long, we waited for the call to come. Surely we thought someone was missing the important figure, and each time the phone rang, my mother would say, I'll bet that's about Jesus but it never was. Surely someone will call, my mother said. We'll just keep them together in the manger until someone calls. Well, when no call had come by five o'clock on Christmas Eve, my mother insisted that my father, well, just run down to the store to see if there were any sets left. You can see them right through the window over the counter, she said. If they're all gone, I'll know someone is bound to call tonight. Run down to the store, my father thundered. It's 15 degrees below zero. Oh, Daddy, we'll go with you, I said. My father gave a long sigh and headed for the front door. I can't believe I'm doing this, he muttered. Each time the phone rings, everyone yells at me to see if it's about baby Jesus. And now I'm going off on the coldest night of the year to peek in a window to see if he's there or not. My father muttered all the way down the block, while my brother and I raced each other up to the window where the tiny lights flickered on and off around the frame. They're all gone, Daddy, I shouted. Every set must be sold. Hooray! The mystery will be solved tonight. Back home once more, we saw that the extra baby Jesus had vanished from the set, and my mother appeared to have vanished too. Someone must have called and she went out to deliver the figure, my father reasoned, pulling off his boots. You kids get busy stringing popcorn stands for the tree, and I'll wrap your mother's present. We'd almost completed one strand when the phone rang. My father yelled for me to answer it. Tell them we found a home for Jesus. But the caller was not an inquirer. It was my mother, with instructions for us to come to 205 Chestnut Street immediately and bring three blankets, a box of cookies, and some milk. Now what has she gotten us into? My father groaned as we bundled up again. 205 Chestnut Street. Why, that's about eight blocks away. Wrap that milk up good in the blankets. 
or it will turn into ice by the time we get there. Why in the name of heaven can't we all just get on with Christmas? It's probably 20 degrees below out there and the wind is picking up of all the crazy things to do on Christmas Eve. Tommy and I sang Christmas songs at the top of our lungs all the way to Chestnut Street. My father, carrying his bundle of blankets and milk, looked for all the world like St. Nicholas with his arms full of goodies. Every now and then my brother would call back to him, Let's pretend we're looking for a place to stay, Dad, just like Joseph and Mary. Let's pretend we're in Bethlehem, where it's probably 65 degrees in the shade, my father would answer. The house at 205 Chestnut Street turned out to be the darkest on the block. One tiny light burned in the living room, and the moment we set foot on the front porch steps, my mother opened the door and shouted, You kids, take those blankets into the living room and wrap up the little ones on the couch. I'll take the milk and cookies. Would you mind telling me what's going on? My father asked. Never mind all that now, my mother interrupted. There's no heat in the house, and those poor children will have to spend a very bleak Christmas, so don't you complain. I told her that you would fix that oil furnace in a jiffy. My mother strode off to the kitchen to warm the milk, while my brother and I wrapped the five little children who were huddled together on the couch. The mother explained to my father that her husband had run out on them, taking everything, but she'd been doing all right until the furnace broke down. I went in washing and ironing for people and cleaning the five and dime, she said. I saw your number every day there on those boxes on the counter. When the furnace went out, that number kept going through my mind, 7162, 7162. Said on the box that if a person was missing Jesus, they should call you. That's how I knew you were good Christian people. I figured you would help me, so I stopped at the grocery store and called your missus. I'm not missing Jesus, mister, because I love the Lord, but I am missing heat. Okay, my father said kindly, you called the right number. Now let's see, you've got a little oil burner over there in the dining room. Shouldn't be too hard to fix, probably a clogged flue. I'll look it over and see what I can do. My mother came into the living room carrying a plate of cookies and a tray with warm milk. As she set the cups down on the coffee table, I noticed the figure of the baby Jesus lying in the center of the table. It was the only sign of Christmas in the house. The children stared wide-eyed with wonder at the plate of cookies my mother set before them. Then the baby woke up and started crying. My mother swooped him up in her arms and began to sing. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste, you bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. You hear that, children, the young mother said. The woman is singing about the Lord, why he sent these people just to fix our furnace. When my father got the furnace working strong once more, and the children had their milk and cookies, our family bundled up and made our way home. My father didn't say a thing about the cold weather and had barely set foot inside the front door when he was on the phone. Ed, hey, how are you, Ed? I heard him say. Yes, yes, Merry Christmas to you, too. Say, Ed, we have kind of a situation here, and I know you've got that pickup truck. I wonder if you could round up some of the boys and find a Christmas tree, you know, and a couple of other things. 
The rest of his conversation was lost in a blur of words as my brother and I ran to our room and began pulling down clothes and toys off our shelves. The man my father had called found oil for the furnace, bedding, two chairs, three lamps, and made two trips to 205 Chestnut Street before the night was done. Our gifts were piled into the back of the truck, and even though it must have been 30 below zero by then, my father let us ride along in the back of the truck. Now, no one ever did call about the missing baby Jesus in the nativity set, but as I grow older, I realize that God does work in mysterious ways. It wasn't a packing mistake after all. Ellen Starr. The world at peace, the land at rest, a thrill of expectation sweet runs through the Virgin Mother's breast. Her babe lies tranquil at her feet. Adoration, swift oblation, bows the Virgin to her child, maid and mother like no other, tender, blissful, undefiled. On the stable floor beside her, Virgin spouse, Saint Joseph kneels, midnight darkness. But what brightens from the newborn infant steals? Still adoring, in the manger, Mary lays her son divine, hay and straw, the manger's roughness, to his tender body line. Mary's arm, her babe encircle, Mary's breast, its milk supplies. What to her the cheerless stable as she gazes in his eyes? Knows her Lord, the world's Redeemer, is her very own, her Son, Son of God, the Word incarnate, God and man, divinely one. Bethlehem's mystery, Bethlehem's gladness, ours sweet Christ of grace today, what to us our care and sadness, as at thy low crib we pray. Sweet. 
the poor baby wakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I love thee, Lord Jesus, look down from the sky. And stay by my cradle till morning is nigh. Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to stay. Close by me forever, and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care, and take us to heaven to live with thee there. The Christmas Violin it wasn't where he wanted to be or what he wanted to be doing on that white snow-swept afternoon before Christmas, standing in front of a pawn shop in a shabby section of the city. Yet, when a voice keeps saying to you over and over, go take a look at it, there comes a point where resistance finally breaks down. So, in spite of the cold and snow, and in spite of the warmth and comfort of a spacious country house where he was to be a guest for the holidays, James Morrison, an important figure in the world of finance, stood with face close to the grimy glass and looked at a violin. A battered old thing it was, but he knew enough about violins to know that it had no great value. Just an old fiddle someone had to hawk, he said to himself. This is ridiculous, he muttered and moved a step. Stay where you are, Jim Morrison. Now this voice had been speaking to him since midnight. Take a look at it, hanging in the window of a shop just off the Bowery, you'll find it. Go take a look. And again he was remembering the voice, this time speaking to him while he was having breakfast at his club. Go take a look at it, will you? For you're not a happy man, Jim Morrison, even with all your money and all. Aye, tis cold, said the voice. I think we better go inside. Then Morrison turned his head and looked at a slim, gray sliver of a man. His face is what hold Morrison's attention. It was, well, vaguely familiar. Why should I go inside with you? Tomorrow's Christmas, the strange man said. What's that got to do with it? Because it's years, Jim Morrison, since you've felt the full beauty of Christmas. And you expect me to find it in a hawk shop? There's no reason you shouldn't. Christmas is everywhere. Come on, let's go inside. Morrison stared hard at the fellow. At once angry and unnerved, that such an obvious down-and-outer should know so much about him. Aren't you cold? Sure, I'm cold. Many people are cold because they can't afford warm coats. Many are hungry for lack of money to buy food. But you, you've got a fur-lined coat and more money than you'll ever spend, and yet you're not happy. There it was again, not happy, Morrison repeated inwardly and scowled. What a thing to say to a man like himself. Morrison toyed with the idea of offering the fellow a meal and a stout overcoat. 
but shrugged the thought from him. You can't help people by giving them things. Let them earn them. All right, since you're cold, we will step inside. Ah, but you misunderstand me, said the stranger. Tis not because I'm cold that I want to go inside. What I want is for you to buy something. Morrison looked involuntarily at the violin in the window. Aye, that would be it. Morrison frowned at him. What good would an old violin do me? Well, it's true, I used to play one once. "'Tis myself that wants it,' the stranger said. "'You'd be buying it for me.' "'Ah, oh, you need an overcoat more than you need a violin.' "'No,' the stranger countered. "'An overcoat only warms the body. "'But a violin, now suitably played, "'warms the heart and lifts the spirit. "'Also an overcoat wears out, "'or the moths help themselves to it. "'But music, music lives on.' "'So to the owner, Morrison said,' This man wants to look at that old fiddle in the window. The owner took it out and handed it to the stranger, along with the bow that went with it. Soon, the shabby stranger was tightening the strings and scraping them lightly with the bow. And watching him, Morrison knew by the movements of his hands that the fellow could play. Then abruptly, with a lift of his head, he was playing something that took James Morrison swiftly back across the years and left him with eyes wide open. Only a simple piece it was, and he couldn't remember the name, but he knew it was the very first piece he had learned to play on a violin that his Uncle Denny had given him half a century ago. Listening, he saw himself in the squalid South Brooklyn flat where he had been born the violin under his small chin and his mother and father and sisters and his Uncle Denny gathered around him. And he heard his mother say, Do your best now, Jimmy, just if you was playing for the President of the United States. And Uncle Denny responded, Ah, oh, sure now, and maybe it will come to that because the lad has talent. The stranger lowered the violin and after a bit of tuning began to play again. Now it was a Mozart concerto. And while he listened, Jim Morrison saw himself in his early teens, again with a violin under his chin, and the whole family gathered around him. Mom, her eyes all red, and the tears running down her face. Oh, go ahead and cry, Mary. Twill do you good, Uncle Denny was saying. Tis the way I feel myself deep inside me whenever he plays like that. Ah, oh, I thought I was pretty good at scraping a fiddle. But this lad's gone far ahead of me. Again, studying the lean face of the stranger, Morrison thought that if Uncle Denny were alive, he would have just such thick, grizzled eyebrows meeting above a thin, sensitive nose. I'll take it, the stranger exclaimed, lowering the violin. Here, he added, holding it to Morrison. Play it yourself. Play it again. No. Morrison's voice was so sharp that the shopkeeper jerked his head around to look at him. The stranger shrugged on the shoulder. Well then, you'll have to listen to me. And once more he was playing. Now Morrison saw himself in his late teens, the violin under his chin, playing the same piece the stranger was playing. And once again, except for his father, the family was gathered around him. And again his mother was crying. And so was his oldest sister Agnes. And once again, Uncle Denny was speaking. Mary, 
'Twould be a wicked shame if the lad didn't go on with his studies. Don't tell me it can't be managed, even though Big Jim is gone from us. I have a job. I'll see to it that he becomes a concert violinist, even if it should take my last red cent. But it hadn't taken Uncle Denny's last red cent, for while the music enveloped him, Morrison was remembering what he had said at graduation. I'm going to go to work, he had announced. I want to make money, a pile of it. We've been poor all our lives. I want to be rich. Nothing else matters. In vain, his mother and sister had pleaded with him to continue his music. In vain, Uncle Denny had pointed out to him that, with his exceptional talent, he was already rich. But the teenage mind was set, and no one could change it. As the piece finally ended, the stranger lowered the violin and stood motionless. He uttered no word, but in his alert eyes there was hope. Morrison said, "There, I've bought it for you. Though I don't know why, take it now and go along." But the man merely held the violin out before him. "Play it," he said. "Play it again. Play the mountain top." The stranger said, "Your father loved it." I I don't remember it," Morrison said, and then, to his own surprise, he began to play, not perfectly and not without two or three false starts, but he played it through to the end, because somehow he had the odd feeling that his father was listening, and he wanted to please him. Then, of his own accord, he played Nora O'Neill, because that was his mother's favorite, and he wanted to please her. And now, to his intense astonishment, the shop was no longer depressing, but bright with a kind of golden radiance that set the objects on the walls and in the showcase to sparkling, as if somehow they were a vital part of Christmas. And then, because it was the eve of the most wonderful day the world had ever known, he played Adeste Fidelis, played it not just with his hands and fingers, but. With his whole soul and body, as he remembered playing it while in his teens, so that when he finished, his eyes were moist. "'Tis yours," the stranger said, "and this would be twice I've given it to you. Play it sometimes, won't you? Goodbye now, and God bless you." And he strode towards the front of the store. After a moment of bewildered hesitation, Morrison strode after him. But by the time he reached the door, the man had vanished into the early twilight of the street. Behind the steering wheel of his car, the old violin was on the seat beside him. As he started the motor, he felt the violin slide forward, and in order to prevent its falling to the floor, quickly put out his hand. In doing so, his fingers struck the strings, and they gave forth a chord that reached his ears, after the manner of Uncle Denny speaking to him from the remote past. Jim, be good, be kind, be generous. Give to others who need it, of that which you have in such abundance. Tis never too late to start giving. Scrape the bowl across the strings now and then, and forget the hard material world. For your own sake, Jim, and for the sake of others, heed what I am telling you. Morrison expelled a deep breath as he eased the big car down the street. Looking at the brightly colored lights, he remembered Christmas when he was a young lad. And he said aloud, "Yes, I shall heed. I shall remember to take time out, and now and then to scrape the bow across the strings. But he wouldn't take time out tonight. For tonight, 
and into the early morning, he had something far more important to do, more important even than attending a big housewarming in the country. For over in South Brooklyn, there was a church, and he was remembering the smell of it on Christmas Eve, and the sight and sound of people out of the high vaulted ceiling, and himself in a pew halfway down the aisle, along with Mom and Dad, Agnes and the rest of his sisters, and of course, his Uncle Denny. James Morrison turned into a long straight street that led towards South Brooklyn. The tune of Adeste Fidelis was playing in his head. Thank you for spending part of your Christmas with us. A Christmas Violin was written by Russell Carter and published in Catholic Hearth Magazine. And If You're Missing Baby Jesus was written by Jean Gitson and published in Christmas Stories for the Heart. Our singers were Maureen Blake, Eva Blake, Dominique Rochette, and Natalie Rochette. The Bethlehem Poem was read by Deacon Tom Lowy. Background music by David Phillips. I'm Sandra McDevitt. May you and those dear to you have a blessed and holy Christmas season. Merry Christmas from EWTN Radio. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. Have you ever heard people object to gold and gilded ornaments?
KATH 910 